Big Ten Plus Four is a member of Odd Pods Media and ASAP All Sports All Plays Network. Hello and welcome into Big Ten Plus Four, college sports with Midwest perspective, blue collar and blue blood. I'm Dalton Shetler, as you can see if you're joining us on a video medium. Tony Hollinsworth there in the middle on the far side, Sam Sprunger. Fellas, how are we doing after we get through, what, week four and we're getting ready for week five? We uh, we learned a lot in week four. I will say that for me personally, it was like, okay, this this is this is going to be our college football year. Okay, we've, we've learned a lot so far in our really our first full weekend of actual conference games where now we start to beat up each other. Unless you're Purdue and you play Florida Atlantic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think much like, much like we learned, uh, especially in the first few weeks this year about Michigan state and how much Kenneth Walker meant to that team. I think we're seeing that little bit of revisionist history in real time with Purdue and Aiden O'Connell. Yep. Like what Aiden O'Connell is for the Boilermakers. And without him, boy, it's a struggle against Florida Atlantic. But we'll be talking a lot of Purdue. We'll be talking a lot about many of these teams. You seem like you still have a thought there, Sam, though. Nope. Nope. It's just early, and I'm trying to make sure I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for you, Dalton. <laughs> well, yeah, the eyes, the eyes are looking more and more open each each sip of coffee and yeah, caffeine. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> My life juice is being injected. It's a slow process. Much to, much to Tony's point, uh, there were a lot of in-conference games last week in the Big Ten. Yeah. This week, they're all in-conference games. Seven Big Ten games are on the docket, four of them divisional matchups. So there's a lot to be learned this week. We'll be talking about that a little bit, and we have some other topics popping up as we get closer and closer to the start of basketball season. We still have some conference realignment stuff yeah. in the news. There's a lot of stuff going on, so we'll get to some of those later on. But let's start with some game recaps, and let's start off with, uh, what, what are we thinking? Maybe the big one in Columbus, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. If, this if you one, go with the results, it's not really the big Not one. really a big one. Well, <laughs> Ohio State scores 50-some points, 52 points, and it's the 17th time under Ryan Day that they've put up 50 points in a game. Let's, so. let's put that into, into some, some time frame. He's been the head coach how many years, Dalton? think he's going year four i believe this is year four this is the start of year four he already has over a season's worth of games that he (laughs) scored or his team scored more than 50 points and and don't forget about 2020 which was a shortened season with covid so they didn't even play the full schedule and they didn't play enough (laughs) but yeah that's impressive well and and tony we can start here with you Uh, i mean we knew going into this one we all kind of collectively assumed Ohio State would win this one, and Vegas had it that way. Vegas had the spread around 18 and a half, I think, the last I saw before it closed. Um, but Ohio State proves again they're for real, and they're doing a lot of this without Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like we're starting to see a lot of Marvin Harrison Jr., some of the other receivers. Um, Wisconsin, it's, it's kind of what we thought we saw earlier on. Uh, what did you take away from this one? Yeah, my, my biggest takeaway is even though I know for me, and we've joked about it a lot here on the show, that I've always been skeptical about Wisconsin's offense. But 
Ohio State's defense to me is what really showed up at the for the most part of the game because I mean you got to think about it at halftime it was twenty eight to seven Ohio State and then of course we see twenty one at the final it's like okay well maybe Wisconsin started to come back no 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 that's purely garbage time stats like all probably majority of the Ohio State starters had already been done this is a chance for your freshmen and your backups to be able to play you know at towards the end so to me this this Ohio State led defense is better than what it was, you know, a year ago. So that that's my biggest takeaway out of this. And, of course, C.J. Stroud still looks like a Heisman candidate favorite. I mean, he threw five touchdowns against Wisconsin's defense, which, you know, it, it is no really thing to, to mock at as far as, you know, Wisconsin's defense goes. So, and, uh, let's see, I'm going to see, I'm going to butcher that name if I try to say it, but one of the Ohio State wide receivers, each Buka, Buka, one of those two, six receptions, 118 yards, two touchdowns. And then, of course, Henderson, 21 carries on 121 yards. So that that offense is still productive, even without, you know, Smith and Jigba and some of their top wide receivers. So defense, defense came to play. And, of course, the offense has almost always been there. So we didn't really have to worry about that much. And, and if I can interject here before Sam gets rolling, you mentioned C.J. Stroud with his five passing touchdowns. He's now third all time in Ohio State history. Justin Fields is second with 63. So he's within striking distance of rewriting records. He's really, really close. Um, Emeka Abuka, that was the receiver. Six catches, 118 yards for two touchdowns. Go ahead, Sam. Yes. I saw the G and I was like, I, uh. <laughs> started sweating. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know how to start. I think this was uh, this is a statement about where I think maybe Ohio State's going to be down the road because their offense still hasn't hit full power to where they're firing at every aspect. You know, Henderson's doing his thing, uh, Stroud's doing his thing. The receivers that are playing are doing awesome things, and you still have Njigba still not playing yet. You know, I mean, he's he's still not there. And we saw what he did against Utah, and that he he's he he's for real, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, you've got him waiting now. Does is it going to take him some time to to get back into things once he's fully back and doing everything? Yeah, maybe. But you know what? By the time the the playoff rolls around, he's going to be full go, or that core's already going to be like you know it's going to be gelled for the whole year. And Ohio State is going to be dominant offensively, too. And they still put 52 down on Wisconsin. And yeah. and, and Wisconsin isn't as good. I mean, we've talked about it. We're, we're, we're kind of, you know, back and forth on them. But honestly, the expectation of Wisconsin this year wasn't what it normally is. So this game is, it's kind of a conundrum in my mind because I think Ohio State is a heck of a lot better and they showed it but yet they're not hitting on all cylinders and wisconsin's not up to par so i just think ohio state's i can't believe it was this close (laughs) personally out of out of all the games where we saw the results or we saw the different things play out and we kind of scratched our heads and we're like we thought we had an idea and this wasn't it like this one was not that case like we knew what ohio state was we thought we knew what we was, what Wisconsin was, and the game played out as such. And by the way, I do also want to mention C.J. Stroud, 16 passing touchdowns now this year. He's tied for first in the country. So when well, Tony says it. Heisman chatter, like 
really get on board with the Heisman chatter. And by the way, we talk about those weapons. Like we're talking about Abuka. We're talking about Harrison Jr. I haven't even really seen Smith and Jigba. Like there's not a defense in this conference that is prepared or capable of stopping that. When then you throw Travion Henderson from the backfield in there in the mix as well, and Stroud's the one slinging it. Like, look, if Ohio State trips up and they don't get across the finish line, it's because they tripped over their own shoelaces. Nobody's really going to be able to level what they have talent-wise. And and by the way, we've seen that in the past. Ohio State went to Iowa years ago, got blown out for just some reason. They went to Purdue years ago during the Tyler Trent game got blown out for some reason last year they trip at michigan like it's it doesn't mean this is a done race but ohio state's going to have to play really bad in a game if they don't end up winning the big 10 yeah that's a and dalton shoot the way things are going they could still trip up be tripped up on their own feet and still win the big 10 like yeah yeah. (laughs) Yep. It's one of they, and is it one of those that if I if let's say Ohio State loses in the next couple of weeks and then re, recoups and gets are they still pretty strongly firmly in the playoff in your mind? I think if so. They I think they, and then went out. I think they would be one of the few teams that the the whole like you know college football committee would even consider letting in yeah. with one yeah. loss like to me and it, it's going to sound bad but you know we've even talked about it with some of the AP top 25 polls being more reactionary than it is mm-hmm. you know kind of diagnostic Ohio State Alabama Georgia are the to me the three teams that if they lose one the college football committee is still going to say yeah, they they still need to be in the playoffs because that's a big name. Like Dalton said, you have a lot of talent. And at the end of the day, and I, I talked about this on other shows, it, it is kind of a money marketed drive because think about it. You know, we, we even take last year's participants with Cincinnati, like Cincinnati has a big fan base for the most part in Ohio, mm-hmm. but it's not nearly as compared to Ohio State. So if you were to take, you know, take Ohio State out for the college football playoffs, it's like, yeah, that's that's money out of their pocket. So it's like, no, 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 no. Ohio State has a big following, not just in Ohio, but in other parts of the country. So it's like we can't we can't really just have them hanging out outside the door. So if they lose one, I I still say they're probably firmly planted in getting in the playoffs, because I would say the other thing, too what other really teams if they were to potentially go the rest of the season undefeated that you could see outside of the sec that is like yep that's that's our money maker to replace ohio state right there i I don't see any does it does does it matter who they lose to if they lose or is it one of those that they can pretty much slip to anybody if you only have one loss not so much I mean, and and honestly, I think from what we're seeing between national uh, narrative, Michigan's kind of in this conversation as well. Where Michigan, if they only have one loss, say these two meet undefeated at the end of the season, and and next. they battle it out. Like I, I think both of those teams could be in, and especially like we talk about Bama, Georgia, Bama, Georgia. It looks like right now, like they're both going to be in. Like that just seems to be from the way they're playing. Clemson, we have to wait and see. Clemson. Kind of got through week. Wake Forest, mm-hmm. yeah. This this past weekend, um, they they have a couple of games that could be landmines on the schedule. We just kind of have to kind of wait and watch. Uh, USC in the Pac-12, we'll have to kind of wait and watch if they're able to survive that schedule. 
But I think it's very possible Ohio State and Michigan, if they if they take care of their own business, like they're a part of that conversation right now that they could both make it in. And then you have two SECs, two Big Tens, and that would be something. Two questions then uh, kind of follow up on that. Is that where you're seeing it? Like if if Michigan and Ohio State keep their collision course, they're both undefeated come uh you know, day or Saturday after Thanksgiving, they get together. No matter what, who wins or loses, you think both of them are in as long as the winner goes to Indian wins. If they both get there undefeated, I, I think. And and again, I, the only reason I'm not going to be straight up and, and give you an answer here, because if Clemson's sitting there and they're undefeated mm-hmm. and Bama and Georgia are, are handling right. their business, then that context and those outside factors would dirty this thing up. But in a vacuum if, then. Yes, yeah. if if things fall right, I absolutely think Ohio State and Michigan could both be in if they take care of business. Now, Michigan showed some things this past week, and then I'm not sure that Michigan makes it all the way undefeated. And we can right. talk about that right now. Michigan, Maryland. Uh, Michigan beats the Terps 34-27, but boy, this one was pretty close. And the game started with Maryland muffing a kickoff return, Eight bouncing off the returner's the helmet. Yeah. And it set Michigan up for a touchdown immediately to start this game off. If you take that away, we're talking about maybe a different game. Also, Talia Tungavailoa gets injured in this one. He gets shaken up. Raheem Jarrett gets shaken up in this game. But Michigan still survives, and and you got to credit and give them the win, obviously. But the point is, uh, the the gap didn't look so much like a number four, number five team in the country against one of the middle teams in the division. First off, no, you don't have to get credit. You just have to give them the W because they scored more <laughs> points. But uh, I, I even put out a reel about this, and and you know before kickoff, and said this is a game where you know the talk is Maryland is better than what they were originally kind of equated mm-hmm. to do this season. They're better than that. They come in undefeated. You've got Michigan, who everybody think is is just the second best uh you know behind right behind ohio state if not some think better than ohio state they're wrong but uh you you had these two teams coming in one hadn't been tried the other one it was coming in under the radar i saw this as as one of those games that is a statement game of how we actually should look at these teams michigan's good they're not going to be as dominant as what their 50 plus point outbursts those first three games that's just not going to be what they are. They're going to be a 25 to 30 point team offensively, and they're going to have to rely on things on defense. Maryland is a heck of a lot more formidable than Hawaii. We know this now. <laughs> and, and, and Maryland is good. They've got, they've got talent. They've got the horses at least for the next year or two to compete with the likes of Michigan. So I think this is – I, I, I worry now more that Purdue's got to play Maryland. Hmm. Yeah. Tony. Yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Cause when I, when I was watching it, cause I, I didn't catch that first kickoff or a touchdown, but when I turned it on, it was like 1447. And I look, I'm like, Michigan already scored. I was like, okay, either Maryland screwed up or that defense got a pick six. One, one of the two. There's no way that this has just happened. Like to start the bat. Um, so I, I was a little confused, but then I saw it and I was like, Oh, Okay. But I, but that's what I noticed. It's that Michigan struggled pretty much the entirety of that game against Maryland, 
And especially in the first half, because at one point Maryland was leading. I was like, whoa, was Maryland about to go into the halftime with the with the upset lead right now? Um, but but much to Sam's credit, th- this is where I, I don't really care for the for the top 25 is because it was like, yeah, they dropped 50 on Colorado State. Good for you guys. I think like one FBS school also has a win against, uh, or one FCS school has a win against an FBS <laughs> school. One of them happens to be Colorado State. They dropped fifty on UConn and they dropped fifty on Hawaii. Like, congratulations, you dropped fifty points on three programs that historically have not been good at football to start with, <laughs> and you've managed to you know beat them in that regard. So it's like, all right, this is Michigan's first true test on what they can do. Now, I will say offensively, what is going to be Michigan's strong point, and this is where I think it's good that they have McCarthy because I think he proves that they can have a little bit more as far as you know offensive balance. Because McCarthy did well, you know, he's eighteen to twenty-six, two hundred twenty yards, two touchdowns, but obviously Corum was the star of that game. Yep, yep. I mean, he ran all over Maryland's defense. And that was really kind of the thing that they did with, you know, Hassan Haskins last year. I mean, they they ran the ball. And with Quorum having a game like he did, you know, 30 carries, 243 yards, and two touchdowns, at least rushing, you know, that that's going to say a lot for what Michigan is going to be able to do in the future. You know, like, kind of like we talked about earlier in the season, the thing that makes me a little bit skeptical is still Michigan's defense. Like, it's not bad. But again, it's hard to replace talent like Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo uh, and Daxton Hill, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's hard to replace those top three guys with a defense that was very good last year. And by the way, Corum, those 243 rushing yards you're talking about, that's the seventh best single game rushing performance by a Wolverine in school history. So like... What Blake Corum has has done, and a matter of fact, he did this early last year, and then when they got into Big Ten play, Haskins just kind of took the rock. Like Haskins mm-hmm. was kind of built for the Big Ten, just a bigger back. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll, we'll it'll be interesting to see Corum continue to get to tote it all season long, and what else he's able to do. Uh, you mentioned Michigan being tested a little bit. Michigan will have their first road test of the season this upcoming week. We'll talk a little bit more about that game specifically in a moment, but it's against Iowa as they travel to Kinnick Stadium, and the Iowa Hawkeyes come off a win against Rutgers 27-10. to uh, The battle of the punters from down under uh, goes to Torrey Taylor and the Hawks after this one. Iowa gets the win, a couple of defensive touchdowns, and uh, I, I, yeah, Iowa continues to, to Iowa. Um, did you see anything in this game that maybe gave you more confidence in the Hawkeyes? And already a head shake no from Sam. Go ahead. No, I they when your when your defense is constantly outscoring your offense, you need to do something on offense. You know, there 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 are issues. And and good on them. I mean, this reminds me honestly of the 2006 Bears <laughs> to where they, they were I mean they won they were down 20 points to the to the Arizona Cardinals on Monday night football. Their offense scored three points, the, and we let the, him off the hook. That yep, that's the famous Denny Green. We the Bears are who we thought they were. They were down twenty to nothing and ended up winning twenty four to twenty three, and the offense produced three points. Like that is what like it, that game is like the a, a small snapshot of what Iowa I think is 
completely. Like that's their season. Their offense is so inept. And the fact that they they got outscored by their defense again in a Big Ten game, then a conference game, is very disconcerting for me that, that they're going to be a struggle this year. 27 points is an anomaly because the defense produced half of it. Tony? Yeah. I'm I'm looking at the the breakdown as far as the stats goes. The only thing that kind of stands out to me is the fact that that Iowa almost got 300 yards of offense, which for Iowa, whoa, whoa. Well, let's <laughs> also look at the, the defense. There. The defense they <laughs> did play against is 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 decent against the run, but they you know I mean so meh. and surprisingly that was their only strong suit against that whole game. was the running. Yes, they ran 129 <laughs> yards, and then Petrus lit it up, 148 passing yards. Slow down, folks. <laughs> Iowa's offense is back. It's back. Yeah. Like, it, 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 it's so bad. And, again, Iowa is one of these teams that when you look at all the players that have come through, you look at all the talent, everything that they have, you know, they're in the West, in the Big Ten, and the history that Iowa has, it's – as a Big Ten fan, you can't. You have to just kind of sit here and shake your head in disappointment. Like this, this is a team that could have so much potential, so much upswing, and and again, I don't know if it's the offensive coordinator. I don't know if it's Petrus. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk it up to a combination of both. But the fact that this offense is so abysmally bad, and it just seems like there's no changes being made. Like if, if, if Ferris doesn't want to make change, you know, that man's been coaching almost longer than I've been alive. So, you know, it's your, it's your show to run, sir. You, you do what you like, but part of me wonders, it's like, dude, you can't sit here and tell me that you're happy with, with what you see on the field. Even if you don't want to listen to what people are saying on the outside, you can't tell me, you know, like Sam said, your defense outscores you, you know, 14 points to 13 that your offense produces and, and say, yeah, I, I'm happy with this. I'm okay with this. You can't, you can't look me in the eyes and tell me that. I was not going to be a dumpster fire this year. And that's the sad thing is, is they're yeah. going to be right around maybe a game or two over 500. They may even make a bowl game. Oh, but I, I think it goes even further than that, Sam. And this is where I want to beg the question is Iowa's defense good enough that it elevates Iowa to a certain level of success. Check out these numbers. Right now, Iowa's defense is number one in the country in scoring defense. They're giving up an average of 5.75 points per game. Yeah. Check this out. Iowa so far has given up 23 total points in the first four games. That's the team's fewest points allowed since 1956. It's also the first time since 1935 that Iowa's held its first four opponents to 10 points or fewer folks i know we've spent a lot of time shedding light on how incompetent at times iowa's offense has been mm -hmm. but this iowa defense is another level of elite and my question is can you have a certain amount of success maybe even get back to indy can we even have that conversation with the defense being the the first car on the train the bears made the super bowl that year it's true and and not to totally disrupt that, but it was 16 years ago, and football's changed a lot. Oh, for sure. I'm just saying. Years. I'm just saying in the aspect of the defense ineptness of the offense and the defense carrying you where you're going. Uh, that was clearly what happened in 06. Yeah, and I and I get it. That that is a long, long time ago. 
uh, in a lot of people's eyes, and, and, and it is. But the concept of the defense just being that linchpin, taking them where they go, uh, is what my example is for that for that season. And I I don't think so, but I'm so dumb sometimes when it comes to stuff. So so it's very possible that that yeah, maybe I'm totally underselling the fact that I only think they're going to be a couple games over five five hundred. I think they're going to lose games to really elite offenses. And yeah. maybe, or really good defenses that can produce like your defense can against an offense, and where you've got you know twenty three points or twenty twenty one three touchdowns each team that are produced by special teams and defense and their offense, <laughs> whose offense can produce the most basically. Yeah, yep. and that and that was going to be my point was <clears throat> you know that that old school aspect of you know defense wins championships, but. You know, much as I was getting ready to say, too, we haven't really seen Iowa face an offensive superpower yet. So we don't know if this defense right. can, could withstand that test. And that's I don't doubt like they can, playing. though, either. Yeah, I don't doubt they can. You know, now I think that if they face somebody, you know, say to Dalton's point, if they do manage to make it back to Indy or honestly, if they have to face Purdue or you know Minnesota, right. you know, this this is going to be one of those that can that defense hold up against an offense that good or not? And, you know, if they have to face someone like Ohio state, then I'm going to lose a lot of confidence in that defense. <laughs> not that they can't, not that they can't hang for, I'm going to give them at least two quarters. But when, you know, much to Sam said, even if that other team's defense isn't as good, but they're able to capitalize on the fact that Iowa's offense is that bad. Yeah. It's going to be an ugly game. And if you're Iowa's defense, you know, there there's going to be a point where it's like, okay, Ben, don't break, don't break. Well, if you're out there for, you know, what, 40 minutes because your offense can't, you know, keep hold of the ball that long, you're going to be tired. It's it's going to be a long game. And in the conference that they play in doesn't lend to their, their likelihood of being getting to that point, I don't think, into the West to where they go to Indy. Just for the fact, like if you were to, if the, if Iowa were in the Pac-12, let's say, there's not a lot of defenses in the Pac-12 that are going to exploit as well as Iowa does. So maybe they don't, maybe they, they dominate a little bit more and go a little further if they're in the Pac-12. I just think with Ohio State, uh, shoot, Wisconsin on a right day, you know, I mean, Purdue on the right day could could hang some points on Iowa. I don't know that there's <laughs> I just don't know that uh, there are defenses that can can exploit Iowa's offense. In the Pac-12 yeah. compared to the Big Ten. So no, I think it, I think there are a couple games over 500 personally. OK, fair enough. And and we have some other stats, too. This one comes from Twitter. I found it from Nicole Auerbach, but. Uh, Nicole gave credit to at town twelve twelve, so we'll make sure we give credit where it's due. But Saturday's game marked the fifth time in the last ten seasons Iowa scored multiple defensive touchdowns in a game. No other Big Ten school has done that more than three times, but Iowa they continue to score points on defense. Uh, as we talk about the West and maybe some of these teams' chances, boy. You look at last weekend and all signs point to Minneapolis where P.J. Fleck and the Gophers are feverishly rowing around. Uh, they go to East Lansing, thump the Spartans. 
I know, obviously, I have a bit of a Spartan interest, as you can tell if you're joining us on visual medium. You can see the attire. But Tony has a Spartan interest as well. Tony, we'll start with you. Your thoughts after this one. 34-7 Minnesota. It it was ugly. And, and much like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, this team relied a lot on, on Kenneth Walker. I, For me, I... I always think of the meme of like Wolverine laying in the bed, holding this like photo, like this, this picture frame and they can interchange it out. And I just picture Michigan state fans with Kenneth Walker there just, just missing how much that, how much he helped carry the offense. The meme just to, needs to Photoshop Sparty into Wolverine spot. And then Kenneth Walker. <laughs> right, right there. Yeah. Like that, that's exactly what it's like. Um, that and I think this really gave Minnesota a a true test and kind of you know solidifies that I I think still they're going to be the team to beat for the Big Ten West. Like they they did everything right that they needed to do. They took advantage. Um, th- this is actually what really surprised me is that Minnesota didn't really take as much advantage over you know, Michigan state's passing game, like passing defense. Like I thought they were going to, they, they ran. Yeah. They didn't really need to. They ran the ball, you know, down their throat. And that's probably what surprised me the most. And, you know, a few people are kind of criticizing, well, why didn't they really prepare for that? And it's like, okay, if I'm Michigan state and really any football fan, if I'm Minnesota coming into this, okay, what can we do? We can throw the ball and we're probably going to get some good yardage out of this. But you know, Minnesota was like, nah, we're we're gonna do we're gonna do a really good balance, which balance wise, they were right on par. I mean, you know, passing, they were 23 of 26. Yep. 168 yards passing and three touchdowns. And then rushing, they had 240 yards on 48 attempts. They were averaging five yards a rush. And they only have they only had one turnover, and that was a fumble that was lost. And they held the ball for 42 minutes as compared to Michigan State 17. And and real quick, before you even continue on, I do want to highlight, too, for Minnesota, 40 minutes and 35 seconds a game is the average time of possession the Gophers have had this year. That's first in the country, and not only that, it's nearly four minutes longer than any other FBS team. That was sent out by the Big Ten office this week. But, oh, my. Like, Minnesota can kind of do whatever. And, and to your point, like – we did see Morgan throw it, 268 yards, but that rushing attack with Ibrahim and Potts, it's it's a lot to handle. And and to give you one more, you know, one more thing before I turn it over to Sam, the Gophers, they've only allowed 24 points this season against the teams that they faced. So I mean, really the biggest one that they had to face obviously was Michigan State. Um, but they've also allowed the fewest average yards in the nation. They only average 187.8 yards a game. The next closest team to get to that level of productivity is Alabama at 201.2. So if that gives you any idea of how really elite Minnesota's defense looks right now as far as their productivity and what they're able to do. Sam? (laughs) I was just seeing how long it would take before you'd say something. Um, (laughs) This this was a huge statement game uh, with for Minnesota. I I had doubted them. I didn't doubt that they were good. I just didn't know if they were that gonna. If I was gonna say yes, they're the elite in the clubhouse, you know, leader or whatever you want to call it, or the early 
uh, leader in the on the club in on the board in the West. I it's it's frustrating because I want I, I know Purdue's probably better t- top to bottom, but they're just not showing that they're ready to compete. And I think Minnesota, I think with the fact that they're so balanced offensively and defensively, then on their offense they. They, I think they're the the leader now, and I, it kills me to say that, Dalton. Uh, but when it comes to this game, uh, Michigan State needed to get the pressure. We talked about that. You know, is you know, you cannot let the secondary have to hold their job down too long because it is the clear problem with the defense. Mm-hmm. And when the when the pressure can't get there now. Do we start worrying that maybe the the front the front four isn't necessarily as good as we thought they were at the beginning of the year, or are they just hitting a couple of slump weeks? I don't know. Well, and and to to jump in here, the first two weeks we thought it was elite because they yeah, led the yeah. country in sacks, right? Um, and they didn't blitz those first two weeks, and they were able to get home. Now against a couple of power five offensive lines, they haven't been able to get home and there's still not much blitzing coming. So it's it's like the philosophy is dependent upon those four need to get home to get pressure and the rest are trying to support in coverage because, again, the pass defense was dead last in the country last year and uh, it's not too much and, improved. And you said country, not conference, country. Yeah. So I, there's there's a lot of questions and and there's a lot of big issues moving forward, like especially with yeah. the secondaries we talked about. And uh, I I look at Michigan State too. When you look at Peyton Thorne, Jaden Reed, Keon Coleman, Trey Mosley, Daniel Barker, I mean that is an incredible supply of weapons for a passing attack. But when it comes to running the football. Michigan State without Kenneth Walker III has still yet to try and figure out how to do that. Listen to this real quick. If you go with the two games this year against Power 5 teams, Minnesota, Washington, and you go back to last year in the game that Walker set out, the Peach Bowl against Pitt, and if you grant me uh, the Ohio State game last year as well because he got hurt early, only carried the ball six times in that one because he got Granted. hurt so quickly. Thank you. Um, so in four <laughs> games against Power 5 teams in the last two years without Walker, Michigan State has 202 rushing yards combined. That's 50 wow. and a half rushing yards a game without Walker in Power 5 games. So if, if MSU can't run the football, wow. that really trips a lot of this up. I believe Mel Tucker in his tenure at Michigan State is 13-1 and one when the team runs for 100 yards. Like, look, there's still a glaring issue in that defensive secondary, but running the football is such a a big ordeal right now. And I think Michigan State's still trying to figure out a little bit too. And and to be fair, the last two games they've came out, they've been behind and they've had to play differently than maybe what the game plan orchestrated because they've fallen behind so quick, uh, so much. But I think Michigan State's still trying to maybe figure out how to flip the philosophy. Last year, the run set up the pass. All the attention was on Walker. This year, you have a ton of weapons in the passing game. Use that pass to set up the run, and I still think that's trying to be established. 
Yeah, there, there's definitely something that's not jiving right now and flowing well in East Lansing, and and it's not. Let's 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 be honest. We did we didn't really think that Michigan State would necessarily. Oh, Tony had to leave. Uh, didn't necessarily <laughs> think uh, Michigan State was going to compete for the East Division title. Now, could they? Did we think maybe they could? Maybe I don't know. The point. You're sorry, back. my my cats were being cats and getting into things and shouldn't be into. Anyway, gotcha. Sorry, go um, I don't remember my tra- or where we were headed with that, Dalton. I'm sorry. But that Michigan State wasn't going to be contending in the East Division. You had said. Yeah, that. It, I don't remember what we were going with up to that point, though. So okay, it's a bad morning <laughs> again. Jeez. Well, anyway. I tell you what. We are a squirrel, bright little, yeah, anyways, yeah, let's just cut it off and move to the another quarter. How about we try that? On you? I was going to say, we were pretty long in that first quarter anyway, so we can, we can go ahead and move to the second. That's the first, the longest recorded uh, first quarter. Plus four history. So for the second quarter, we want to do some previews before we get to halftime and get to a couple other notes before we get out of here. But for the second quarter, uh, as we mentioned previews, we got two games that we really see standing out uh, in the Big Ten. And before Sam actually throws up a graphic, I think there's a third that's interesting just because of what we just talked about. Michigan State, the Spartans seeing if they can kind of regroup a little bit this week. They go on the road to College Park to take on Maryland. The Terps just went toe-to-toe with Michigan. Um, Big question marks here. At the time we're talking, Talia Tungavailoa, game time decision. Rakeem Jarrett, game time decision. Will two of the best offensive players and two of the best players Maryland has play in this game? Uh, because obviously when you're looking at matchups, and we've talked about the woes of the MSU secondary, if one of the best passers in the Big Ten's playing and a future NFL receiver's playing, that's going to be tough, and we'll see what that kind of builds as we get closer to that one. But let's start off with who Maryland just lost to, Michigan. The Wolverines hit the road for the first time this season. They're heading to Kinnick Stadium to take on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, This one's a little bit interesting. You have the number one scoring defense in the country in the Iowa Hawkeyes against the number one scoring offense in the nation in the Michigan Wolverines. And also... Kinnick Stadium's the place where top five teams go to die. And that's what head coach Jim Harbaugh talked about earlier this week. Look, Michigan has a four-game losing streak heading out to Iowa City. The last four times they've been there, they've fallen. And we talk about the top five teams. Iowa, in the last six games, they've had a top five team come to their place. They've won five of those six games. For whatever reason... This kind of builds and breeds up to maybe one of those goofy upsets the Iowa Hawkeyes could have. Tony, what do you take away? Yeah, I mean, it, it's possible because, I mean, the, the the philosophy I live by is any given day. Like, it, it is possible. Now, I, I have because, you know. Is it me or is he correct? Yes. He's cracking on okay. me too. So we'll, we'll check okay. back in with Tony. Uh, Sam's already saying that uh, not possible. So no, Sam, why don't no. you just go ahead and tell us why it's not possible? I just I, I think I think the this game is is going to be one of those that the Michigan offense will still produce some points. They're going to produce something against against uh, that Iowa defense. I, I mean, even if it's 
you know, two touchdowns, 14 points. That's it. That to me, I think will be enough to win that ball game. And then I think maybe even the Michigan defense gets in on the, in on the party and they score a couple of TDs and they win by three or four touchdowns. That's what I see happening, happening. I so don't, you're not you're not scared of the history of all of this at all. No, like it doesn't, I'm, I, okay. you know what? This is also a historically bad season for Iowa offense too. So if we want to if we want to jump in and and say you know these things are it, it, it's a bad season for their offense and Michigan's defense isn't bad. They're not as good as they were last year. Don't get me wrong by any means, but they're not bad. They're going to keep a weak Iowa offense at bay pretty easily probably I mean I mean and watch the Iowa offense will score four touchdowns I I know that'll happen because <laughs> you know but but my whole point is is with the way trends have been going to this point I don't think there's a chance in the world that Iowa comes close Wow. Okay. That'll be interesting to see. So we have Sam on one end, Tony, who, if you're joining us on visual medium and watching him do it with his transitions, he's 4k now that he's on his phone. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> Tony, uh, you said any given day. So you remain somewhat hopeful, but it sounds like you're uh, not, not quite sure. Yeah, not really. Like you said, with the last six matchups that they had, you know, Iowa, you know, against top five teams, Iowa's managed to win five of them. This isn't an Iowa offense that we've ever seen be this bad either. So it's like, yes, defensively they can be kind of carried a little bit, but I don't really see them going that far, you know, offensively. And much to Michigan's credit, Michigan doesn't have a bad, you know, a bad defense either. You know, Michigan is allowed 244 yards uh, per game. They average about 135 pass yards and 109 rushing yards. So really, that's on par for being able to stop Iowa's offense, which a wet paper bag, I think, could stop Iowa's offense at this point. <laughs> but but to me, I think they also, Michigan now, if they can really ride Corum the way I think they're going to, can have more of a balanced you know, balanced way of attack against this Iowa defense, making it a little bit more difficult for them. But yeah, I'm still going to give Michigan the edge by by far. And you talk about the Iowa offense going against this Michigan defense. I, I want to read a tweet. This is from at by Austin Meek. I saw this earlier in the week. He tweeted that R.J. Moten was asked about Iowa. R.J. Moten, of course, playing for Michigan, says, quote, our focus is just to stop the run this week and get them to throw the ball. They've only got a certain amount of pass plays, and we know the quarterback and who the quarterback favors. Basically, we just want to stop the run, end quote. So Moten is saying, look, we get them to throw the ball, we win. Like, that's that's the essence of that quote, which I thought was very transparent and honest for a preview of yeah. a game. You usually don't get quotes quite that honest and simple. Yeah, it, it, you're you're right because most of the time, well, they're a good they're a good team, you know. We're 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 really focusing on certain areas, but now he's like, we stop the run, we win. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and end statement. Yep. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there, and if maybe there's some more mana magic at, at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, we talked about there's there's been stuff before. Sam's already saying no, so we'll move on. Uh, the other game that I find interesting because it deals with maybe who ends up winning the West, Minnesota and Purdue. 
the Boilers head to Minneapolis after just clawing out a win against Florida Atlantic. Minnesota looks like world beaters in the Big Ten West. I mean, they look to be the heavyweight favorite at this point in time. You know what's uh, going to happen, right? Purdue's going to blow them out by four touchdowns because it makes <laughs> zero sense. That's why. Well, the only way really you can see that being possible is if Aiden O'Connell ends up playing in this yeah. one. Now, head coach Brom's still keeping that close to the vest as – I would too if have I they was said wrong. What is wrong with him? I haven't seen. I they, they said undisclosed injury last week. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that they have. Um, but it it will be interesting to see if O'Connell's able to make his way back out there because what we've seen this this is a completely different team when he isn't. Oh, I mean, sure. he's what number three or number four in the country when it comes to yards per game passing, and Charlie Jones right now. Good heavens. He's tied for first, or I think he might just be in first for receiving touchdowns. He's first for receptions, and he's like third for yards. I mean, if, if O'Connell's out there, Purdue has an interesting shot to win this game. Um, I, a lot of it's just going to come down to the health of the Boilers, and we won't know that until we go to kick off. Throw it in the air and let Jones run under it. That's basically <laughs> put it up and let him run under it. No, I... I, I see. I I worry that it's something that he did like in a practice or something, or it was un you know like he O'Connell hurt his shoulder or something, and they're you know being extremely cautious with it. I don't know. I wish they would at least give some idea. I I'm not saying hey this is what we're laid out. We're looking at you know potentially four weeks. Hey, he's got a little bit of a shoulder issue, or whatever. You know, don't get into detail. Just explain a little bit because then you get bunch of stupid speculation that what happened why he wasn't playing you know i saw one person say that he was just being disciplined because he was out past curfew or something stupid i'm like why are we speculating we don't know right and so i hope that i hope that it's it's he's better he he'll be back and uh maybe the boilers can pull out a, a win in on the road just got to clean up the stupid mistakes. Yeah. Tony? Honestly, they're on par with Minnesota if they just get rid of the stupid mistakes. Yeah, I think so. The The biggest thing that has me worried, though, is can Purdue's rushing defense handle the Minnesota ground game? And to give yeah, every... Syracuse pretty in check. Well, to give you an idea... They averaged the second most yards per game on the ground. They averaged 294 and a half yards uh, per game. They have 17 rushing touchdowns, which is tied with Michigan for first. Ibrahim has rushed for over 100 yards in each of his first four games and has eight touchdowns, including one in each game. So, I mean, that right there kind of makes me a little bit, a little bit skeptical um, as far as can can Purdue at least stop Minnesota, much to Sam's point. I think they can compete with Minnesota offensively with no issues, again, with Aiden O'Connell. But can, you know, can they make a stop, which is the big thing? Because you can compete offensively with no issues, but if you can't get a stop, that kind of defeats your whole entire purpose. Um, and looking at it statistically, uh, that Minnesota has won eight of its last nine meetings with Purdue. Yeah, Minnesota has owned this series yeah. over the course of, of time. Um, it's interesting because Tony had the same question that I had. 
would be or is would Purdue be able to slow down that Minnesota rushing attack because Muhammad Ibrahim, I love I, I think he's personally the best back in the Big Ten right now. I know he doesn't lead in yards, but I think the way Ibrahim is running the ball, that he is the best there is in the Big Ten. Um got the coolest name, Mo. Yes. It does. Um I I asked the same question to Tim Newton, the voice for uh the Boilermakers, and he pointed to what Sam said. They handled Syracuse rather well. And if you think back to the Penn State game, Nicholas Singleton, who's starting to become a pretty yeah. big name, uh, he didn't have that kind of success against the Boilermakers. So producing they're going to shut well. him down. I'm not going to say they're sh- going to shut him down, but I think they it is possible to keep him in check under what he's averaging. It's that, it's definitely that not would the open pro- up the door. It's not the Purdue defense of old, no. like two or three years ago. Like right. a few years ago, this would be a big problem. But the Purdue defense has taken a bit of an identity change the last couple of years, especially with Karloftis last year, some different things that they were able to, to do. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in this one. But again, I think a lot of it depends on the health, and that's something we'll learn as we get closer and closer to kickoff uh, for this game. Uh, we're running pretty heavy. Why don't we uh, go ahead and hit the halftime break? We'll come back, and I got a topic to throw out to the gang. We'll see uh, what their thoughts are on a little bit more conference realignment talk after this. You are listening to Big Ten Plus Four, hosted on Anchor and StreamYard. Hi, I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. And we host the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. Hey, Tina, did you know that Elvis crashed the Nixon White House for the sole purpose of getting a DEA badge and it worked? (laughs) Or how a gun control advocate senator out of California engaged in gun trafficking with notorious gang leader Shrimp Boy? (laughs) Shrimp Boy, I remember him. Okay, so, you know, we cover all of that and more from Malady madness, mischief, and murder in U.S. politics. And we also host a bi-weekly interview segment called Lil Muck. We interview politicians, journalists, activists, and others who share their experiences in politics. Find The Muck Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on social media at The Muck Podcast. Hey, I'm Pants Aaron. This is Stevie. And I'm Augie. And we are BFYTW, a podcast all about playing games and having fun. Our games are usually based on British panel shows and game shows, but we'll play anything that captures our attention and imagination. Why? It's right there in the title. You'll never guess what the F stands for. I hit the button. <laughs> this is one of my new favorite parts of the show to see if the third quarter whistle <laughs> works or not. Dude. I hit the button. I did. I promise. I hit it just as. Yeah. Do you want to try and redeem yourself or should we just no. move on? Tweet. There you go. <laughs> third quarter it is. Um, okay. Something I wanted to talk about with you guys real quick because I know we're, we're starting to run up against it a little bit time wise, but uh, there's some story here. As we've talked a little bit about before, the Big Ten trying to add USC and UCLA in the next couple of years. USC looks like they got the all all clear because they're a private institution, can make whatever decision they want. But UCLA is being caught up a little bit by the UC Board of Regents. And 
by the way, I'll, I'll explain this a little bit because I was ignorant at first and had to kind of learn this story myself. So if anybody else is like former me, maybe this is helpful. But the UC Board of Regents is for the University of California. Uh, I believe they have 10 different locations for, for UC. Of course, UC Berkeley, they have UCLA, so on and so forth. I think they have 10 different campuses. Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz, San Jose, I believe. Yeah. Um, about 300,000 students. So that goes to show just how big this whole institution is that you see. And so they're being caught up a little bit in saying, should we not let UCLA leave for the big 10? And they're starting to cite some different reasons. But anyways, a couple of days ago, uh, or I suppose about a week ago now, but PAC 12 commissioner, George Klievkoff wrote a letter to the UC board of regents outlining reasons why UCLA should not be able to go to the Big Ten. Some of them include that student-athletes would be spending, uh, would double more than the time they already spend on airplanes for some of these charter flights for travel time, and then that's not good for the physical, mental health of the student-athletes. They cited that uh, it actually goes against the UC mission objective of trying to reverse climate change if you're going to be flying all over the country all this time. Uh, there were other points of emphasis. I'm trying to remember. One of them said, actually, uh, this one is is interesting to me because I want to find out what the truth of this is. But George Klievkoff estimates that it's not worth the money for UCLA to go to the Big Ten because they would more than quadruple their travel expenses uh, by having to do all these different games. So it would increase by $27.5 million dollars. These are all things that are being talked now by the UC Board of Regents. Uh, open it up to both of you. Uh, what do you have maybe in – what highlights uh, do you take away from this conversation with the UC Board of Regents and George Klievkoff? Desperate times call for desperate measures. That's what I see here because it's the about the ten and a, tenth and a half hour. It's almost that last minute. You know, that, okay, now we throw the kitchen sink at them. We come up with every stat possible to try to dissuade the board to allow them to move. I still think that as if, if, if there's any sort of movement to the where the regents are going to potentially say no, the Big Ten's going to know about it before that happens, and it's going to give them a chance to hedge it. Because here's the thing. If USC leaves the Pac-12, it's not going to last very well, even with UCLA in it. You, USC, of those two columns of, for, the, for the foundation, is the much bigger column than UCLA. Right. So therefore, the Pac-12 Pac might have some validity, but it's not going to be near as big as it was and so UCLA sees the, the, the value in it. That's why I think Cal's going to end up coming with them because then the UC Board of Regents gets two schools in that Big Ten, and it, it helps, it helps uh, the, the agreement that UCLA has to be part of the, the UC family is they have to have, uh, I believe it's Cal. I believe it is Cal Berkeley. Mm -hmm. They have to have an active uh rivalry with them like an active game and schedule if they go to the conference with them it's much easier to schedule that way the the only thing I'll, I'll throw in here is that is working under the assumption that the big 10 would want cal 
And well, that, I think they I'm want not, UCLA enough to want that they would take Cal with them. Correct. Okay, that's Tony, what I'm go ahead. thinking. Yeah, and to much to your point, real quick, Dalton. So these were the exact concerns the Pac-12 had. So significant impact on student athlete physical and mental well-beings, which affects both academics and athletics. Uh, significant hardship. Yeah, that matters. Come on. For, the significant hardship for families of UCLA student athletes and UCLA alumni, you know, significant negative impact on UCLA expenses, significant negative impact on PAC 12 by extension, Cal and revenues, and then significant negative impact on UC system stated goal of reducing carbon emissions. Um, and then of course the notable details, much like Dalton said, uh, their travel expenses would go up from 8.1 million to as much as 23.1 in addition to an extra $15 million in annual expenses to meet the, av- the average Big Ten budget. Here's to me what I, I think this really is, um, and I had read a report on this a few months ago, and I, I can't find it here um, when I'm looking. There was a report that, much like what Dalton said, they want to keep the rivalry with Cal. I think a lot of it is that they want more of these California schools in so that California can take advantage of that revenue that they would be earning back with these Big Ten TV deals and with having these teams in them, which makes sense. And if I'm UCLA, you know, I've said this from day one, I would fight this to no end because last I looked, UCLA is like $100 million in debt. Yes. And just so. just, just sorry, just to throw this in there because Tony's right. They they were more than a hundred million dollars in debt that they accrued in the last three years. Under Armour paid them recently, I believe, sixty-five, sixty-seven million dollars to help cut that deficit down, but they're still in a hole. So that's a, an important piece of context. Yeah, and and I didn't know Under Armour paid them. So I mean, you think about it. What one, maybe two years of the Big Ten that then you're back in the black, like you're back to positive, you know, positive growth as far as your revenue goes. And do you and think can, UCLA hasn't checked into how much it's going to cost for oh, travel yeah. before they made that jump? Come on. Oh yeah. And, and again, you know, how, how long has this been in the works? We don't know. You know, right. we're, you know, this was one of probably the best kept secrets in college football. And, and yeah, you know, they've done their research, like, okay, what is it going to cost us to travel here? You know, what is it going to do? Because think about it. Why, why would you go to the Big Ten? They could have very easily gone to the Big 12. It's a little bit less of travel. I mean, they could have you know, stuck to their guns and say, no, we're going to renegotiate as far as the Pac-12 goes. Like, hey, either get us a bigger deal or we are going to start searching for conferences. And we don't care what you guys say. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like, like Sam said, they've done their research on this. It's to me, I think, I think the, the University of California Board of Regents they they want a little bit more of that of that money too, and of course the the agreement with Cal, and I, I think the Big Ten would take Cal just because they would be able to get those big names. And again, this this is one of those if the whole Super Conference thing is supposed to be on the horizon anyway, Cal's not exactly a bad school to add in to. Again, it's it's a Power Five school, it's a big name. You're not you're not reaching for like Group Five schools, which you know Sam and I talked about this on a show. Like to me, to save the Pac-12, they would have to get you know uh, UNLV. They'd have to get Las Vegas because that's the last big TV market that's left. And I still you think know, the Big Ten should go after it, but that's me. Exactly, and you know maybe Boise State. So a lot of these teams that people are going to be like, yeah, yeah, they're okay, but they're not they're not what we're used to type thing. So to me, it to me it makes sense, and I, I think the Big Ten would do it because again, it is it's a good money move, and I think also what the UC Board of Regents has to realize 
those TV contracts are expecting US, you know, USC and UCLA to be in there. Now, USC, like Dalton said, is fine because it's a private school. They don't have to answer to this. But, you know, Fox and S the uh, and CBS are going to be like, no, we we signed up for UCLA to come in here. They're coming to the Big Ten or there's going to be other lawsuits that come along with that. So, and, and since you both are on this train, I'll take the other side for the sake of this conversation. If we're doing the hypothetical where the UC Board of Regents say, look, uh, if you want UCLA to go to the Big Ten, you got to take Cal too. And they put that to the Big Ten in, in all these discussions, all these moving parts. If I'm the Big Ten, I say no. We'll take USC. You guys stay there. And I'm going after Washington or Oregon that way I can add another state on my foot. And they're not tied footprint. to tied to a, a board of regents. And, and you could grab either Seattle. You could have the Nike factory in Oregon. Like there are other things because like, look at UCLA so far this year. What's their overall attendance? 90,000 through three or four games, like combine the games. Like there isn't a ton of attendance, fan support. Like if yeah. one had to go, like I think you would be, you could get away with, not having UCLA and replacing that with one of the others. And and that's not just to, to rain down on UCLA, but I'm not sure that the value of them is enough where you have to add in Cal Berkeley from a Big Ten standpoint because then you're not adding another state onto your TV market and you're also adding and another Northern, mouth. Northern California is a completely different state than Southern California. It is. <laughs> Fair. But, you, Fair. But, you could, but you could very easily also get that with Stanford too. Because, I mean, Stanford was also on the Big Ten's radar as a potential, you know, quote-unquote bait for Notre Dame to figure out if they're going to join the Big Ten or not. But it it does put another mouth at the table to feed, too, and split this TV revenue amongst with. And if you're not moving the needle enough, and I'm not sure that a combo of Cal Berkeley and UCLA moves the needle enough that it's worth to give them a spot. You completely may be right, but I just see the added value – uh, at least for the conference and and I, and I guess maybe I'm too tied to like historical stuff that that historical value matters because in the long yep. run it doesn't if it's not like you said if it's not moving the needle it's not worth sometimes the move so uh, I think they went after these two two schools the Big Ten did because of historical value and meaning but they also have huge value. And that obviously supersedes any of the historical part, because I think if honestly Big Ten could get Clemson, they probably would added Clemson. in. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at that thing. So, uh, yeah, you very well may be right. And and overall, this is probably going to end up being a moot point anyway, because the chances that the Board of Regents blocks UCLA, uh, a lot of people that we've asked the question to and talked to in the past said it's kind of slim. But it's not ruled out. Is the best chance it gets turned out. Yeah, like it's it's not very likely, but we can't rule it out. And it's certainly something right. to watch as we continue moving yep, forward. I agree. It's it's an interesting thing to see how it plays out. I still think, like you said, I still think it happens. Uh, yeah, that just may not be in the form that it, it looks like it's going to happen now. There may be something added to it or subtracted from it. Yeah. Fourth quarter time for headlines. I think I think the whistle's going to work. I kind of wish we could have heard another Sam. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll start off with Tony Hollinsworth in the Tony Tribune. What do we got? Um, 
So I, I'm going to say this as uh, a little as a little bit of a, you know, the news slash, you know, uh, a, a message to my fellow Michigan State fans. <laughs> you know, to quote Aaron Rodgers, R-E-L-A-X, relax, okay? This, this is a long-term thing you have to be prepared for. You know, I know a lot of people and, you know, Dalton can probably confirm or deny this. There's a lot of talk on is Mel Tucker actually the guy for Michigan State? Like giving time, you know, how, how long did Michigan State have, you know, Mark D'Antonio for how many years? It's like give give Mel some time, let him implement the culture, let him rebuild some stuff. Again, you you rode Kenneth Walker for a long time, and it's not like Mel Tucker can't get can't get players to come to East Lansing. You know, he can. He's good at that. So giving giving time to get everything to work, um, you know, can does Hazelton deserve to be fired? Maybe as, as a maybe, up to see how the next couple games goes before we before we start cutting people. But my my big thing is, you know, let let Mel Tucker kind of figure it out. It's not like he's a bad coach. He had kind of a rough first season. I think people got enamored with the ten and two last season, and of course the Peach Bowl victory. Of course they stomped Michigan surprisingly. So it's like give them give them time, okay? Michigan State's going to be okay. Just just give them time. And we've seen this with programs in the past that the third year under a new coach ends up being a little bit more difficult than the second year. It's part of just kind of the transition phase. Uh, by the way, this is a message on top of Tony's shame on the Heisman committee. Like you guys totally fumbled it last year. The fact that Kenneth Walker III wasn't even in New York City. I look at this like. What what were you guys doing? It, it was it just it thought it was a terrible job in real time when it was happening, and now that you look back and you you see what Michigan State's rushing offense like is without yeah. Walker between the Peach Bowl this year, last year we talked about like come on, you guys really just messed this one up. This was this was just a, a, a disgrace on what the Heisman Award's supposed to be in the prestige. Go ahead, Sam. I, I I don't disagree at all because I think that he was the the best player on his uh, like he was the biggest difference maker on his team. I just and and I guess maybe they should redefine or give an actual straight define what the Heisman is supposed to be for. Like, mm-hmm. is it the most valuable player for the year? Is it the best player? Because you can; those are different people many times. Or is it the best it, quarterback? Because that—that's what it seems to be here lately. Is it? It's a. It's kind of like you know, for the NFL. If anybody watches NFL that also watches show, it's like MVP. It's primarily a quarterback award, unfortunately. And you know, like Dalton said, it—it's a shame that he didn't get even considered in New York. He he ran for five touchdowns against Michigan's defense last year for all the praise that we give Michigan and their defense. He ran for five touchdowns on them. And they said, yeah, you're not even going to get a call, man. It's between CJ and Bryce Young. And I'm like, why? It was a given he was going to be in New York after that game. Right. Am I right? Gus Johnson's call on the fifth touchdown was you in hello New York. New York. Yeah, hello. I'll yeah. be there in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you talk about that Michigan defense. Aiden Hutchinson was on that defense, and Aiden Hutchinson was in New York City for that Heisman ceremony. So yep. I I just you watched a year before Walker got there. They went two and five. They won two games. 
Then they turned it around with 11 wins. And, mm-hmm. and Walker was a pretty much the – I mean, he ran for 1,600, 1,700 yards. And then what he's done – or what Michigan State looks like this year in terms of running the football, I mean, come on. Give me a break. That was – that was an easy one to see, and it was yeah. just completely disregarded for whatever reason. But yeah, I could go yeah. on for a while. That, that could have been my headline. I could have just <laughs> shut up now. But Sam, uh, as you can tell, we'll get worked up. Sam and the Sam Sentinel, what do we got? Well, I'm going to the Pac-12, or at least I'm going to what used to be the Pac-12. Or <laughs> um, It is the Pac-12, uh, but the person it's talking about is no longer part of the Pac-12. Don't know if you see where I'm going. I'm going to Arizona State. Uh, they let go of uh, Herm Edwards after their loss to, was it Eastern Michigan? Is that who it was? Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. After their loss to Eastern Michigan this last week, uh, they they let go uh, of uh, Herm Edwards. He still has two of the best quotes I have ever. You play to win the game. And then, hello. You know, just that historic Herm. But uh, uh, there, there was a report from the score that says uh, members of the Arizona State Athletics Department were leaking info to oppo- opponents to help help expedite the firing of Herm Edwards. Okay, now you're a sleaze ball if you're doing that. I'm not going to mince words. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. You're a sleaze ball if you are undercutting somebody that you hired for your program to run your program and now you're leaking his information to the opponents so you can expedite the firing and make it look like it's all his fault i don't accept that as an ex- a, a right way to handle an, an, an a mishiring and you know what you're allowed to make a mistake on your hire you're allowed to not mesh once things start happening once you've made that hire you don't go and there are two things you have in your in your life your name and your word and when one goes bad both go bad and if you are undercutting and giving information so you don't look like the bad guy guess what you're sleaze you're scum and you should not be part of any more decision making when it comes to hiring anybody to run a sports program or organization. I don't know these people. It didn't give specific names. It just said people from Arizona Athletics, the athletics department, did this to get rid of a coach they didn't like. Shame on you. Grow up. And I'm, I'm done with the Sam Sentinel now. I'm just fired. I say, and to your point, how, you know, if you're if you're a future, you know, possible employer or even a head coach candidate, how often are you to think, Okay, you know, maybe I'll go to Arizona State. You know, they seem nope. like they're an up and up program. Not now. No, y'all are going to get me fired if I don't do well. No. Who's I'm who's working that. in the background behind? It. Like, if they don't yeah. release names, you know, you don't know who is doing this and you don't know who's open to doing that. And you know what? That's cowardly. Yep. Just admit you mishired. I'm sure Herm Edwards would be like, yeah, we didn't get along. Okay. that And the sun comes up tomorrow. But come on. That's, that's uh, morality. That, that's mm-hmm. just not right. You you are you're. I can't accept that as as something as as that should be acceptable in in sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're yeah. cheating. Yeah, you're openly cheating, and you're openly cheating against your team. Yeah, against that yourself. That is even worse. So 
I got fired up, Dalton. Sorry. Oh, I get it. I think we're all in the same car on that one, and Tony, <laughs> Tony's driving it. Um, <laughs> sure am. Um, but no, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, with the Dalton Daily, I actually I've calmed down since my Kenneth Walker to third rant in the Heisman <laughs> camp Um, So I'm going to end with something positive. Still looking at Michigan State. Uh, look, basketball season's revved up and ready to go. Practices are underway across the country. Um, and I saw this story come out. Uh, from East Lansing, that Mati Sissoko, who is a forward on the Michigan State men's basketball team, he came from West Africa, found his way uh, to prep school, found his way to East Lansing to play for Tom Izzo in Michigan State. He is going to take his NIL money that he makes playing for Michigan State uh, with all of his deals, and he's set to donate it back to his home nation of Mali, there in West Africa to help impoverished people. And I, we've seen more and more of these cases with positive NIL stories and how they help out kind of for the, the greater good and how these college age students are continuing to make decisions that aren't self-centered. They continue to, to spread the wealth around of what they get. I think it's very inspiring that we continue to see young people step up in such a way. And Mati Sissoko putting the money where his home is back in Mali I think it's a terrific move and wanted to tip the cap there. I love the stories that that shed the light on the good of NIL because it doesn't drive needles so it's not it's not going to it's not going to be you know huge headlines because of it. So I'm glad we're making headlines of those because it should be shed these kids aren't all self-centered. Like you said, they're not making these, these decisions complete. Now that's not to say that he's not buying something or getting something out of it. That's fine. But he is, he is sharing what he has made in order to, to help. I, I love that because there is to me, there's more good than bad in this world. It's just mm-hmm. the bad sells newspapers, you know, and uh, the old adage of it sells newspapers. So you, you report that. And it's it's uh, always nice to be able to hear about these things happening. I, I love that. Yeah. All right. So I, I think that wraps up the Dalton Daily. I think that's going to wrap up the show real quick, Sam, on the way out. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find us? Yes, sir. Still haven't updated the icons, but we'll we'll talk through it. OK, Oops. <laughs> sorry, you didn't warn. You didn't say, hey, take headlines down. Uh, go to Big Ten at Big Ten plus or spell out the plus gentlemen do not put the little plus sign but that is at big 10 plus four on twitter instagram and the tiktoks uh if you go to facebook you just search big 10 plus four it doesn't matter how you spell the plus or symbol uh then go to or you can go to oddpodsmedia.com find us there our audio version of the show uh every week on on uh on odd pods media the audio but every friday at 8 45 and that may be changing uh there's there's still some thoughts of that maybe a different day uh we might move it a, a little earlier we haven't gotten to that point yet but uh actually surprise guys i'm going to talk to you about that here in a minute uh <laughs> <laughs> um but you know every as of now every friday 8 45 a.m on asap network uh Good times. Good times. Thank you, ASAP. Thank you, Odd Pods. Perfect. Tony, any kickers you got to throw in on top? Um, can we uh so I, I'm gonna have to eat my words here. Um 
I still don't think Adrian Martinez is the guy, but he was the <laughs> guy last Saturday running five touchdowns on Oklahoma. So congrats to Adrian Martinez. Yeah, I have to eat team, my words the, in that regard. He did that against the team that his former team got blown out by. Yes. Right. Yes. That was one of the underrated stories. So thank yeah. you for throwing that yeah. in on the way yeah. out. And there, there's course. no better way to wrap it up. That's uh, Tony Hollinsworth over there, Sam Sprunger in the middle. I'm Dalton Shetler. Thank you all for tuning in for this week's edition of Big Ten Plus Four. Until next week, safe travels. So long. See ya. See ya. See ya.